Caroline doesn't remember me, but 20 years ago, she served on my, and that's okay, because I was just a lowly college kid from Northwestern, and I rode down, a lot of you guys know Carmen, Sarah Tomaszewski had a car, her daughter, and a lot of us didn't, so we just hopped in Sarah's car and went and served. That's how I got to know about Bethlehem. She came to our dorm one day and said, hey, does anybody want to serve Wednesday night at, at downtown Bethlehem? And so then I got to meet Caroline and get introduced to Bethlehem's amazing children's curriculum. And then, honestly, that's one of the reasons I'm even here today is because of that love for that, for the God of that curriculum, but the way to teach children with intentionally showing them a big God. Um, and so that's just exciting that Caroline has been part of that journey for me and hearing her teach um, was a sweet thing for a formative college student, I guess. Um, and she has been counseling with Cedar Cove since 2018. In 2011, Caroline retired from a long career in elementary education and began counseling children and families. She's currently a member of the online faculty for Westminster Theological Seminary and for CCEF. Caroline's interests of, areas of interest in counseling include working with children, teens and families, and she loves coaching parents and is especially interested in helping parents of children with loud emotions. She is married to Spencer and has two adult daughters, five grandchildren, and two amazing sons-in-law. Good to include them, too. <laughs> Caroline enjoys walking her dog, um, knitting, writing, and painting colorful mandalas. So welcome, Caroline, with me. So it's lovely to be here, and um, I talk about this a lot. It's the one talk that I'm asked to give over and over and over again. And it's very dear to my heart um, because I work with a lot of kids like this. Um, and I spend a lot of time helping parents. So <clears throat> tonight what we're going to do is we're just going to look at... so. Uh, just a little kind of heads up for you. So at Bethlehem, we're very good at always looking at the heart, right? We say, tr you know, look, at the, the look at your child's heart, know your child's heart. And I agree with that. I think that's very important. But one of the things I've discovered as a teacher, as a school principal, and as a counselor is that very often in the evangelical world, that's all people look at is the heart. And now the heart's important, don't get me wrong, but we are not just hearts, right? We're just not hearts walking around with two legs. We are embodied souls. We have a body as well and a brain. And our body and our brain uh, have influence on our lives in the same way as our hearts do. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look a little harder at the body slash brain aspect of ourselves because one of the things that happens in a lot of cases with children with loud emotions is they get punished for things that they cannot help. They get disciplined for having meltdowns that they actually can't avoid having. In many cases, these children with loud emotions, when they have meltdowns, they're actually not being naughty. <laughs> Their body is responding in a way that's hard for them. So I want to help you understand that today. So, so let's take a look here. Um, you remember these days? Those beautiful, magical moments where your baby was so cute and no trouble. And maybe you're thinking, oh, where did those days go? <laughs> you know... Um, some children, as they grow up, experience big emotions, and this is the opportunity for parents to help the child to regulate their emotions and change their behaviors. So, so let's take a look at this and, and put it in scripture. This is one of the scriptures 
from Hosea that I really love. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. <clears throat> this is God the Father speaking about his very rebellious children who rebelled over and over and over again. He had every reason to write them off and just say, I'm done, I'm so done with you right now. But this is his heart. He said, I led them with the cords of kindness. Somebody said to me years ago, every time you sin, Jesus just pulls those cords of love a little closer to him. And I really do believe that's true. And this is what God was saying. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And then he says, I leaned down and I took the yoke off their jaw and I fed them. Now, this is God Almighty, right? Like, you have to really understand. This is Almighty God saying, this is what I did. And we know because we know the story. We know that he was faithful like that. But I think what, what, what I see in this is our Father being very generous towards us. And he's calling us to be generous and loving towards our children as well and to have the same uh, loving, patient heart as our Father. I have my notes here too because I shortened this talk and there's a few things I want to remember, so I apologize about that. So here is, here is the slide about being an embodied soul. So you can see the, the duality of of man in that, in that little illustration. And in case you're wondering, where does she get that from? I'll tell you where I get it from. So God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. That's the body part of Adam, right? And then what did God do? He breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. So we see the duality of Adam's nature there and that's how God has made us. So we know that out of the heart, this is in the scripture, come thoughts, affections, and actions. So the heart thinks and remembers, the heart feels and experiences, and the heart chooses and acts. And the body carries out the desires of the heart. It's the context in which the heart functions. We're going to talk about that just for a minute here. So there are two important distinctions that we want to make. Any behavior that disobeys God's word is sin, right? Um, and behavior that's considered weakness and proceeds from the body or brain is not necessarily sin. So, for instance, you wouldn't call ADHD sin, or you wouldn't call dementia sin, right? Or you wouldn't call autism sin. But these are all afflictions that certain people have, right? Now, we do know that as as people, and especially children, respond to things like ADHD and autism, they may behave very sinfully, right? Their responses may be, may be sinful, but, uh, but we wouldn't actually call those uh, weaknesses or weaknesses in, weaknesses in math. We wouldn't call those, those sin. Um, so let's, let me just briefly just mention what the Bible says about the heart and what the Bible says about the body, and I'll return to this in just a minute. So the Bible calls, calls this inner part of us a lot of different names, spirit, mind, body, soul, uh, inner man. And basically every human being lives as a responsible agent before God, and everything we do is related to the living God, right? Um, and in everything we do, we can see our hearts in action. So we would say that the heart is the initiator of all moral action. All moral actions originate in the heart and proceed from the heart. 
And the heart can be taught by the gospel of Christ, and the faculty by which it learns it is faith, according to Ed Welsh. Now, the Bible says that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and our body is in, 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 indispensable to the activity of the heart, because we're body and heart, one whole person. So unlike the heart, which is the initiator of moral action, the body is the mediator of moral action. So the moral actions that our heart, that come out of our heart, are lived out in our bodies. Our bodies act them out, as it were, right? But the body itself is not sinful. Your body is beautiful. You're made in the image of God. And the body can be a vehicle for sin, but the body itself is not sinful. But bodily illnesses and, and, and mental illnesses and brain disorders and brain difficulties can have an effect on the heart. So the body can impose limitations on the heart. But this weakness is not sinful, right? It's because we live in a fallen body, and, but sin tries to take advantage of that weakness. So... Some practical applications for this are that our brains cannot make us sin or keep us from following Jesus. So you, nobody can say, my brain made me do it, <laughs> right? We've heard that, you know, the drugs made me do it. No, we can't say that. Our brains cannot make us sin, and they can't keep us from following Jesus. And each child's abilities, their brain strengths or weaknesses are worthy of careful study. So if you have a child that has some loud emotions, you need to be really studying this aspect of your child and find out what is actually going on there. What are the weaknesses? What are the challenges? And how can I know how those press on my child's heart and make it really hard for my child, sometimes to obey or sometimes to calm themselves down, which is what we're really talking about more than anything else. Like, why do some children have huge meltdowns? And it doesn't matter how often you say, calm down, calm down. They don't calm down, and they can't calm down, and we'll come back to that. So, but brain problems can also expose heart problems. So, for instance, let's take the man who has a stroke, and there's some brain damage happens because of the stroke. Or even my friend Paula, actually, um, because the tumors affected her brain. And on one occasion, she fell on the floor, and um, when, she when she spoke to her daughter on the phone, she said, your father threw me on the floor, which wasn't true at all. You know, her husband would never do that. But we were able to smile at that because we knew that really that wasn't anything to do with Paula's heart and had everything to do with the damage to the brain. But um, if, if a person who's had a stroke starts to be very... Um, abusive or rude, we will speak to that person and we'll challenge them and we'll say, you know, I know that it's hard for you, but you can't call your wife that name. That's not okay. So we're, we're looking at the damage that's done and understanding it, but we're still kind of pressing in on the heart. Is that clear? So I have a little story about this that's actually a great example. So one of the things we know is that um, children whose brains are not as fully developed as adults, can, can know and follow Jesus, and they can understand spiritual things. And my father um, had very, very bad dementia in the last years of his life, and he lived 
he lived in an apartment alongside my sister's house and he constantly confused my sister and thought she was my mother. So whenever I would go over to Ireland, he would say to me, go get your mother, go tell your mother I want her. And I'd say, well, that's going to be hard because she's in heaven, dad. But anyway, you know, I would say, you want Heather. My Heather's my younger sister, so she was quite insulted that she'd be thought to be the mother in this case, which was highly amusing to me. <laughs> but anyway, um, it must have been, um, it was 2015, um, and I had been over in Ireland for a visit, and I was going home the next day and leaving very early in the morning, so I went in to say goodnight to my dad and said, don't bother getting up, and my dad said, um, let me pray for you before you go. And he took me in, in he took his, my arms in his hands, his big farmer hands, and he prayed for me. And he prayed the most lucid prayer, like you could just wouldn't believe. He knew I was going back to Minnesota. He knew who my husband was. He knew my children's names. I, I was just amazed. But you see, God is so much bigger than our brain problems and so much bigger than our limitations, right? And we want to remember that with our children, too, that God is bigger than their meltdowns and he's bigger than all of their problems. And I knew that that night I was getting my father's blessing. I just knew it. And you know, when I came back the next time to see my father in 2016, it was in April, he just had a major stroke, and he never spoke another word. The words of my father praying were the last words I ever heard him speak. Isn't that just a beautiful story? I mean, every time I think about it, I'm just so blessed. But you see the bigness of God in that. Like, his brain issues were not an issue to God at all. So let me see if there's anything else I want to tell you from here. So we do have an innate knowledge of God and of right and wrong, and we are responsible before God to keep his laws. Uh, but all of those things are the domain of the heart, right? So the heart can be renewed even when the brain is wasting away, and, and I just mentioned the rest of what I wanted to say there. So let's talk about what's the deal with these highly emotional children. Well, first of all, temperament matters. So you've heard of easy babies, hard babies, and slow-to-warm-up babies, right? So if you have a slow-to-warm-up baby and a difficult baby, that child will likely be a child who might have big or loud emotions. Not always, but sometimes. So some kids adapt very easily to change. You know, you change the plan. You were going to go to the zoo, and you change your plan, and no, we're not going to go to the zoo because it's raining. We're going to go to the library instead. And they're like, okay. And then you say that to another child, and they just fall to pieces. Simply cannot handle it, right? Some kids are moody and reactive, reactive, and other kids just go with the flow. They're just wonderful to have around because they never give you any trouble, right? They're just, I can do that, Mommy, that's okay. <laughs> Those lovely kids. Um, and even within the same family, kids will differ. So we know that... Certain behavior disorders are associated with greater level of frustration. For instance, ADHD, bipolar disorder, autism spectrum, sensory processing disorder, anxiety orders, disorders, and OCD. And all of those have provide greater challenges handling new situations. And kids who have those disorders prefer repetitive routines. So they don't do well with change. Change is hard for them. And this can lead to very big struggles between parents and children as temperaments 
kind of butt up against each other, right? Especially if you're fairly easygoing and your child is very, very intense. So we talk about overactive emotion centers. So reactive emotions with few problem-solving skills can result in meltdowns. So it's like a little combination that we have here. You have a child with who's highly emotional or intensely emotional, and they don't have very good problem-solving skills. So when they meet with a problem, they just go, right? They just blow up because they really don't know what to do. So emotions are typically considered a response of both the heart and body, but they can proceed from either the heart or the body. And the combination of reactivity and poor problem-solving skills can create a meltdown. So what are some of the challenges for highly emotional children? Now, you'll recognize some of these if you have these children. They don't like being interrupted. When they're happily playing with their Lego and you say it's time to go now, it's time to come to the table for dinner, that's just too much. And, and we're very quick to say, don't be so, don't be so naughty, when in actual fact, it's actually difficult for these children to shift to shift their focus and to shift their attention. It's actually hard for them. It's one of those weaknesses that they have. They also don't like too many directions or questions. So if you have a child like this, make your directions very simple. Not, not five in a row, just one, and very simple. Um, and if you have to ask questions, make them pretty straightforward and don't bombard kids with questions like this because that's too hard for them. If they're tired or hungry, that's a recipe for a disaster. So watch out for those moments with those children. If you're, um, if you're taking the child somewhere, you know, I always say to parents, just have a snack basket in the car. Maybe some of you do that already, you know. Just have a basket in the car with granola bars or something else in it. So if you get delayed and this child gets hungry and you're afraid there's going to be some big meltdown, you actually have something to give them. They also don't like shifting gears, and it's actually hard for them to shift gears. Um, there's something about... Uh, I could talk about this for a long time, but there's something ab about the mental effort of doing that and understanding what's being asked of them and, and accepting that you need them to do this and they can't figure out why because they don't need to do that. Okay, so, that, so it, it's all very much, we'll talk in a minute about perspective taking here. They also don't like too much noise. They're the children with their hands over their ears in the church lobby after church or the children who don't like to go to the birthday party because it's too loud, or don't like to go to the gym because it's too loud. They also don't like being touched without warning because they often seem to have some real sensory issues going on here too. And they don't like being spoken to harshly. That's, that's just hard for them. So what causes a meltdown? Well, this is, this is what I call meltdown math. So here's the algorithm or the equation. A difficult temperament, we've talked a little bit about that. Inflexibility, so these children are chronically inflexible, very, have very difficult time being flexible. Difficulty with perspective taking, that's a little bit more complicated, but essentially what it means is, it means that they have more difficulty understanding what you're thinking when you're upset with them. 
or they also have difficulty understanding that you can feel differently about something than they do. So if we both sit down and have a cookie, and I say, oh, that's the best cookie I've ever eaten, and they go like, oh, it's yuck. They look at me like, why don't you think it's yuck? You know, and they, they, they have a hard time understanding that two people can feel differently about the same thing. So you see how that kind of gets them into this bind when it's, you're saying it's time to finish playing with Legos, and they're like, no, it's not time to finish playing with Legos, and I don't know why you think it is, you know? So there's, it, and this is very much a, a brain thing. This is very much a sort of understanding somebody else's intentions or understanding that somebody else is thinking about them and not, they're not the only one thinking about somebody else. So this is, I, I work with a lot of autistic kids and this is a very big issue for these kids and I was just with one of my teens this afternoon and we were talking about this and I was trying to help him understand that, yeah, well, part of the problem between you and your mom is you haven't kind of figured out that you and your mom can differ about the same thing and that you're, when your mom asks you to do this, even though you don't feel like you should, you, you're going to have to figure that one out. So, you know, as kids get older, we actually help them with these things. But the last one is new situations that are confusing. So if you have a child with a difficult temperament who's inflexible, who has difficulty with perspe perspective taking, and you put him in a new situation that's confusing, you're probably going to have a meltdown. Or any combination of these. It doesn't have to be all four of them. It can be just any combination of them. So there, the, uh, I want to say one more thing, and that is that, so we, we sometimes, um, counselors, describe the brain kind of, the, I hold my hand up and I say, this, this is your brain, right? And deep inside your brain, in, <clears throat> deep buried in the emotional center of your brain, is a little almond-shaped thing called your amygdala. And your amygdala sets off an alarm in your brain when it thinks there's some danger right? Um, and sometimes it's a false alarm. Sometimes there's no danger. You just think there is. And it's the thing that makes us go flight or fight or flee. You've heard of that, right? <clears throat> well, when ha what happens is when the amygdala gets all aroused and gets all fired up, the front part of your brain, which is this part up here, your frontal lobes, your neocortex, or your executive functioning center, we say uh, of those kids, you kind of, they flip their lids, which literally they haven't done, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so what happens is when the neocortex or the executive functioning part of the brain shuts down, you can't make a good decision to save your life. That's why they say, if you've just had a death in your family, don't go sell your house and move to another state, right? Don't make major life decisions if you're under a lot of stress because you probably won't make good ones. So think about your child who's upset and distressed because of an, a, a, a new situation that's confusing and the inability to, to make good decisions about that. And their amygdala is all fired up. And you say to them, look, just breathe and calm down they're not going to be able to do that at that moment, right? They're not going to be able to think, oh, I know what I need to do now to calm myself down because everything has shut down up here. Now, here's the problem. When your child's amygdala gets all fired up and you can tell, because if you're a good mom and you're watching, you'll know, you'll know the signals. What happens to your amygdala? 
it gets all on fire too. Now we've two raging amygdalas and nobody has a neocortex that's working, right? So nobody's making a good decision. You're not making one either. So I say to my moms that I work with, I say, remember this, the calm amygdala wins the day. So your job is to keep your amygdala nice and calm when everything else is fired up all around. And it's, you, if, if you can't, then just go to a quiet place, <laughs> both of you, you know, because you'll both need to come down off the ceiling. So it's important when we see our kids getting upset, when we see them getting riled up, that we do our deep breathing and that we take a moment and we call out to the Lord and we ask Jesus for grace in this moment. Give me the grace that I need to be calm and to be centered and to be the one who's actually comforting. Because that's what your child needs. Your child doesn't need somebody saying to them, just calm down, just get a hold of yourself, just get, get control of yourself. Come on. Your child just needs to hear words like, you're okay, I'm here with you, it's going to be okay, we can do this. Let's go to a quiet place. Very few words, we'll talk about that in a moment. So there are four stages to a meltdown. There's obviously the trigger, and I like to describe it like a sort of wave like this. So on both sides of the wave here, everyone's peaceful and happy, right? And then somewhere going up the side of the wave, something happens that triggers the child. It's different with all children, but for some children who are highly reactive and some children who have sensory needs or who, who really have some, some, some brain issues, it can, be, um, it can be just the word no. So I teach all my moms, how many ways can you learn to say no? Like you've got to invent a whole lot of ways to say no. Because sometimes we have to say no. But we don't want to be, you know, we know that for some children if we go no, that's going to be all that it takes. And if you can find a different way to do it, why not? You know, why not? Because then you'll be, you'll be supporting and helping them. So what happens is once, once the child is triggered... The child goes into kind of escalation. So you, you remember when George Floyd, they all talked about the, how the police needed to de-escalate, de-escalate, de-escalate. Well, we do. We need to de-escalate in these situations too. Sometimes we don't have the control to do that. Sometimes it just goes up and there's no stopping it. And at the top of the wave is the big eruption, right? But you have a little window of time on the way up to that eruption when you can actually, if you're really wise and careful, maybe de-escalate and, and avoid, help them to avoid the escalation but the issue is you need to use, use as few words as you can and that's when we're all wow 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 you know because we're all upset too so we're like blah, 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 blah. and you do that and it's definitely going to escalate so few words words like it's okay let's go to a quiet place if we go to a quiet place then you'll be able to calm down let's go to a quiet place so so you can just you can you can rest and you can you can work on your breathing and things like that but just very very few words not really any advice just gentle sort of supportive encouraging words but very few and if the eruption happens the best thing to do is just remove the child from public view like don't stay in the lobby if your child is melting down just to scoop them up and take them to the bathroom or something where they can have their, their meltdown in private and you can, you can be there in private too. So that's very sensible. And then, you know, after the eruption happens, then coming down the other side of the hill is the recovery. And here's where parents often go wrong. They often will try to process 
the meltdown while the child is still kind of in recovery mode. And if you do that too soon, you're going to get another meltdown. So I say, you have loads of time to process this meltdown. <laughs> you don't have to do it then and there. But the best time probably to do it is later that day at night when you're putting them to bed and they're in that sort, sort of soft, snuggly moment, you know, that kind of soft moment when the lights are a bit low and they're kind of tired and you've maybe read a story and you're maybe snuggling beside them on the bed and everyone's just very happy with each other. That's a great moment to say something like, what happened today when we were at church? And, you know, he might or she might say, I don't want to talk about it. You're like, I know, I know it was really hard. So you're being very sympathetic and very empathic, and you're helping them to know that you really cared about what happened. You're not upset about it. You're not angry about it. You're just curious. Well, I wonder, I wonder if it was because it was so noisy. Yes, it was because it was so noisy, you know, and eventually, you know, the child usually is quite agreeable about talking about it at that point. And then you can say something simple like, let's talk to Jesus about this now. Let's just pray and talk to him about it because he understands, right? So I'm not saying don't process, but I process it, but I'm saying process it carefully and take your time doing that. And here's just one, I didn't say this the last time I spoke, but here's just one other thing to say. So sometimes... Um, sometimes your children um, have get into some kind of difficulty with another child where maybe they throw something at the other child, they throw a toy or they throw a rock. Now everyone's crying in the garden, right? And very often parents, because they're anxious because something like this happened, very often what they do is they say, you have to apologize. And that so that's another sort of pressure on that child's heart. And we do want children to apologize, and we want to, them to learn to do that. But in the moment when they're upset is not the time to ask them to do that. You're just going to, it's just going to get worse. It's just going to escalate more. So it's, you know, they can apologize the next day. They can call up their friend. They can send a little picture they drew for their friend. But, but try as much as you can, if you have highly reactive children, to not be the kind of mom who presses and presses to get them to apologize, um, and things just get worse and kind of ratchet out of... I've seen that happen. And I've had to sort of talk parents out of that. I've tried to have had to help them see, well, here's what was happening. He was upset because he'd hurt his friend. He was upset because he knew all the adults were upset. So then pressing him at that moment to apologize just made it worse. So, so go carefully with the, with the recovery piece. So to de-escalate a meltdown, you stay nice and calm. You use a gentle voice, a gentle face, and gentle posture. So have you ever noticed how when we're upset with our kids, we kind of lean in, you know, our face is mad and our voice is loud. And we're actually quite threatening when we do that. We don't realize it. But to little children, that's actually very threatening. So if you have a child who's reactive, very reactive, that, that's, double, that's kind of a double whammy for them. So use a, make sure your face is soft, your voice is soft, and you're maybe even leaning back with your hand behind your back or something like this. So you're just much less threatening. That really helps. Minimize distractions. Don't use very many words. Use touch very carefully. Not every child wants to be touched when they're really, really upset. You might just make it worse if you give them a big hug without asking. Um, and just remind them that, you know, a little time away might help.
So what's a parent to do? How do we respond faithfully to highly emotional children? Well, first of all, be able to control your own frustration. So this is, this is I loved the, the second song that we sang. Well, I love the first one too, but the second one talked about, you know, God's grace to us and, and us having grace. This is where we ask God for grace. Give me grace in these moments, Lord, to be patient. The 80-20 rule is just... Um, People discovered when they were writing tests for children to take that if they put the easy questions first, 80% of the test was kind of easy questions and 20% was harder. If they put the easy questions first, the children did better on the test. So think about how that might play out in your life. If you build that kind of can-do attitude in your child when there's no meltdowns happening and when life is going along nice and smoothly, then when things, when things ratchet up and get more difficult, your child has a sense that they can actually do it. Avoid constant power struggles. Pick your struggles. I always tell, tell the families I work with, I say to the parents, if you get into a power struggle with a two-year-old, you will lose. <laughs> <laughs> and then I say to my teenagers, if you get into a power struggle with your parents, you will lose. <laughs> so, but, but the truth really is that when any of us get into power struggles with somebody else and think we've won, we've actually lost, right? We've actually lost. Um, it, life is not about who has the most power. That's what's wrong with the world, right? And as Christians, we, we, we want to live differently. We live by the law of love. It's got nothing to do with power. So avoid power struggles. And if you have to have them, pick them really carefully and make them only power struggles that you know you can win. Right? That's really, really important. Don't pick others. <laughs> Um, become emotionally illiterate. Start using emotional words in your home. Today, I feel really frustrated. Oh my goodness, I just feel so mad right now. That person cut me off in the car. I wanted to just blast the horn, which I did the other day. I, in one day, I had two people cut me off, really dangerously. It was very strange, but I'm a, I have to admit, I did blast my horn at somebody, which is a very Irish thing to do. I know it's not, not very Minnesotan. <laughs> it's very Irish. But, um, yeah, but become emotionally literate. You know, let your children hear you using emotional words, and when they're behaving in a way that's kind of, like, surprising to you, you know, mention, I, I, think, I, think, I think maybe you're just feeling really jealous right now. Could it be that? Do you really jealous of your brother? Whatever it happens to be. Um, and remember the magic moments. The magic moments are emotional moments are moments to connect with your child. And lots of parents are very afraid of that. They're just afraid of big emotions. But no, God made us emotional. Jesus showed some big emotions, didn't he? right? And we show big emotions too, and these are good moments to connect with our children. So really quickly, the Gottman Institute ha does what they call emotion coaching with parents, and they just say, if you want to be a good emotion coach with your child, be aware of your child's emotions, recognize emotions as an opportunity to connect, help them label their emotions, communicate empathy and understanding, and set limits and problem solve. And Co parents who are emotion coaching parents are observant. They watch their child. They actually watch for little emotions because Ross Green, who wrote the book, um, The Explosive Child, said, people always say to him, these meltdowns come out of nowhere. And he says, that ain't true. No big meltdown comes out of nowhere. There's a buildup to it. We just don't see it. 
or not very good at seeing it. Start getting good at seeing little emotions in your child, little build-up of frustration and agitation. Maybe they start doing something with their foot or pulling their hair, but get to know those and you can sometimes then help them to circumvent the meltdown. Uh, good emotion coaching parents seize the moment. They move in when they know they can. They're not impatient, they help kids with language and they're good at communicating. Whereas parents who are dismissing of emotions often don't notice what's going on, they have too high expectations, they may punish kids for being emotional, which is very sad. They prefer cheerful kids, who doesn't? Um, and they're very uncomfortable with strong emotions. And some of you, well, you may have grown up in houses like that where you just couldn't express anger. Lots of, I know lots of people grow up in homes where anger was not allowed to be expressed. There was something wrong with expressing anger. Or, you know, very often for little boys, it's like boys don't cry, men don't cry, you know? We've done a lot of damage to our kids with some of these these things. So what can we do to help? Well, expect to fail, accept and appreciate your child, and remember it's not actually about you, so your child's meltdown is not a reflection of your parenting, it's because something big is happening to them that they don't have a lot of control over. Stay calm and in control, get to know your child, avoid the power struggles and begin with little steps and don't give advice and listen to their emotions. Stay calm and connect like the queen. Don't criticize your child, don't label, and respect your child and validate his feelings. And you can often say to your child, what do you think you should do right now? You're getting pretty upset, like what do you think you should do? Now you don't say that when they're about to have the meltdown, it's much earlier on. Um, and try not to say no too quickly. And validate his feelings, love is a little acronym I teach, it stands for listen, understand, and validate. And so it sounds something like this. Oh, okay, so I'm listening to you, and it sounds to me like you were really hurt when she said that to you, that your feelings were really, really hurt. Now you have a little one who's nodding her head. She's like, yeah, that's right. And you say, um, you know, I think, I'm just losing train, tr my track here. So then you say, you know, I understand when somebody it says very, very mean things to you that can be really, really hurtful. And then, for validate, you say something like, you know what, if my best friend did that to me, I would probably be crying too. Now, what you've said to your child is, I hear you, I understand, and it matters to me that you're that hurt. And now what you want to do is add 10 years to your, your five-year-old, and she's now 15, and she's just been dumped by her first boyfriend, right? And who does she come home to talk to? She comes to you, because she learned a long time ago that you listen, that you understand, and that you care. And that's what you want, isn't it? right? That's what we all want. When that teenager comes through the door and says, Mom, I think I might be pregnant, you know, we want her to know that she can come and say that to you because you won't freak out. You'll be like, okay, well, let's talk about this. What happened? Okay, how are you feeling about this? I was one of those moms. Anyway, it's a terrible shock when it comes to you. A terrible, terrible shock. But I have the most wonderful 16-year-old grandson, Angelo. And um, I'm so glad his mom chose to have him. 
She was so, she was wonderful, and she's been the most amazing mother, absolutely stunning young woman. She's just about to turn 40, and Angelo is a basketball star, and I'm the craziest fan in the stands every time I go to his matches. <laughs> oh, he's just a great kid. I wrote to him over Easter, and I said, Angelo, don't forget that this is, this is Good Friday, the day Jesus died for you, and you need him in your life. You, you need to remember that he's got a plan, something like this, you know. And he wrote back and he says, I, I do remember Nana. I haven't forgotten Nana. <laughs> so just like, he was the little boy who, when he was about four, was sitting on my bed with me. And I was um, reading something to him. It might have been the children's Bible or something. But I, I said something like, you know, Angelo, you know, someday Jesus will call you. And when he calls you, you must answer him right? And he's like, okay. And I said, and when he calls you, you answer him and you let him, let him come and live in your heart. Something evangelical like that. But anyway, simple, you know. You know what that little boy said to me? He looked up at me and he said, okay, let's do it now, Nana. And he jumped up onto his knees and put his head down on the bed. And I was like, okay, I think I'm supposed to pray now. <laughs> you know, so... God has good plans for all the mistakes in our families, doesn't he? He's a very good God. So seek to know and understand your child and remember the God of Hosea. So I haven't even been watching the time. Are we doing okay? Do we have time for some questions? Okay. So any questions? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't have that in my book. That's, thanks for telling me that. I need to think about that. Okay, so I'm trying to write a book on this topic. So if you would pray for me that the Lord just really gives me, gives me what I need for that, that would be great. Um, working with the siblings. Okay, so I, when I counseled at home, which I did for a few years, I had a sign on my wall that said, fair is not everybody getting, what, everybody getting the same thing. It's everybody getting what they need. And this is a really important thing, especially if you have some children with special needs in your family as well. So um, we, we tend to think that fair is everybody gets the same thing. So everybody gets the same discipline. Everybody gets the same consequence. If you have children with loud emotions, you just can't live by that. It's not going to work. I mean, the, the majority of families that come to me are families that have more than one child who are finding that the things that worked with the other children don't work with this child, and they're stuck. And they're like, we don't know what to do. It doesn't work. And I usually say, and so what are you doing? Like, still doing it? You know, I try to be very kind. But, you know, that we do do that as, as adults. We, we just, we have a little toolbox and we just take the tool out. And if it's a hammer, then everything we see is a nail, right? But, but it isn't like that. So if you have children who have loud emotions, you're going to have to treat them somewhat differently from your other kids. And I think that the only and best thing you can do is to say, you have to trust me that I'm doing what's right for your brother or your sister. They need something different when they're as distressed as they are. I think it's hard. I mean, but I, I, I think, you know, I, I'm sure some of you do this, like, you know, you always have these little children who always want to help you discipline their brother or sister. <laughs> you know? 
And I'm like, no, thank you. This is my job. You just go off now and play. So there's a little bit of that too. So as much as you can um, discipline or correct or or assist or help these children regulate privately so you don't have a little audience around watching you. But to simply say, not everybody gets the same. We all get what we need. Is that an, an adequate? I, yeah? Sure. I think in the beginning it's going to it's hard to know, um, but as you get to know your children and as you watch them and observe them, you will get to remember that equation that I gave you back at the beginning. You know, inflexible, difficult temperament, um, difficulty with perspective taking, and. Uh, difficulty with new situations that are confusing. Just keep that in your mind all the time because if any of those things can be applied to what's happening or a combination of them, then you can pretty much determine that this is probably sensory overload. I didn't even mention this tonight, but I'll touch on it now. But this is sensory overload for this child, and now this child is in a place where he's actually in a lot of distress, as opposed to the child who's on the floor kicking and saying, but I want that candy bar and I want it now. And you're like, you know... This kid doesn't have any of those issues. I think that this is just sin. I think that this is naughtiness. Sometimes you'll get it wrong. But I always think if, it, if you have a child that has some of these struggles, I think it's better to err on the side of assuming that this child is in deep distress and is actually unable to regulate himself at that moment. I think it's better to err on that side than to err on the other side where you just go for punishment and discipline right away. I've had teenagers come into my room and say, you know, my mom is public enemy number one. And that's because for years mom was giving everyone the same treatment in this particular family. And this child was being harshly disciplined for things he actually couldn't help. He was on the autism spectrum. He was just diagnosed very late. So I, I think it's very important to be careful here. I sort of feel like this is kind of my mission almost, you know, as I, as I, as I talk with families because I, I, um, I've seen... I've seen so many mistakes, you know, I've seen so many children hurt by harsh discipline who really actually couldn't help it, you know. So the boy I was meeting with today, his mom told me he wouldn't get out of bed this morning and he was two hours late for school. So I'm just getting to know this boy, I really, really like him. He's a really cool kid. And I said to him, well, what was going on this morning? Like, why wouldn't you get out of bed? He said, I just couldn't get out of bed. I'm like, is it you wouldn't get out of bed or you couldn't get out of bed? He said, I couldn't get out of bed. Do you remember I talked about, you know, difficulty with kind of, uh, what did I say, um, you know, moving from one thing to the next? There is actually something known as autistic inertia, 
which I just learned about, you know, where children on the spectrum sometimes just get actually stuck and they just can't move. And I wonder if it's that. So, you know, I'm constantly on the hunt for these kind of things to help, help explain, because I think there's more going on than just a heart thing. I think I may have said this last time I was here, but you know, most people who work with children will say, a child will do well if he can. All children will do well if they can. And people like Ross Green and others, Dan Siegel, will say the same thing. All children will do well if they can. No child gets up in the morning wanting to you know, wreck their day. They don't. They really, really don't. And most children who have huge meltdowns, they fall asleep for hours afterwards. Have you noticed that? They kind of zone out because it's totally exhausting. So, you know, for, for these children that I'm talking about, they actually need help um, in regulating their emotions. They need help in, uh, they need adults who understand that they're in distress. And it's, it's not rebellion, it's not defiance, it's actually distress. Right, right, right. I, you know, and I get that, like, that's what I deal with a lot. So I have parents coming to me very remorseful because they realize they got it wrong. Well, Here's the deal, we all get it wrong, and we all get it wrong a lot of the time, right? Even those of us who don't have children that are particularly you know, challenging. I mean, I certainly got it wrong with my girls. Um, I did a lot of good things too, I know, but I know I got a lot of <coughs> things wrong. So, you know, our God is a redeemer. Um, he, uh, he is very, very good at turning bad things into good things. You know, he's very good at, um, at restoring things that are broken, um, hearts that are broken, relationships that are broken. You know, my daughter that I mentioned a little bit earlier ago, I went to the CCF conference in 2006 because it was on broken relationships, and my relationship with my precious girl had really broken down, and I knew it. And I sat through that conference, and oh my goodness, God met me there. He really did. He met me there. You know what he said to me? So, you know that song, Oh Church, Arise and Put Your Armor On? Well, that was the first time I'd ever heard it. And the second verse goes, Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the capture. And God spoke to me, and he said, Caroline, you've been raging at the wrong person. And I was undone. I had to sit down in the middle of this hymn, and I was in the front row. <laughs> but I sat down and just wept as God showed me, Caroline, you've got it all wrong. So every time I sing that hymn, you know, I just remember that. And it was right, because I was raging at her. And he, that wasn't who needed to be raging. I needed to be raging against the enemy who was out to destroy, you know. So we do, we all get it wrong, but God is really good. And, and even in that moment when the Lord spoke to me that way, I knew he wasn't angry with me. I knew he was being as patient and kind and loving to me as anyone could have been in that moment. So get to know his voice because he speaks kindly and gently to us. And if you've made mistakes, it's never too late. And I, I do say to some parents, you do need to sit down with your son and just ask for forgiveness. You know, um, that, you'll never go wrong ever doing that. 
you know, that will show your child that you're humble, that your heart is humble, that you're not a know-it-all. Um, and, you know, it, there's no, nothing wrong with saying, son, I got it all wrong, you know. <laughs> I've, been, I've been handling your meltdowns in the wrong way, and I just, we, well, let's just start again. Let's just do this differently. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, I would just say little by little, um, just little steps at a time. Um, it, for some children, especially children on the spectrum, you're probably not going to be able to build flexibility in. You know, they are probably always going to be somewhat very rigid and inflexible. And so we just we just learn to accept them that way. But we often will say things to them like, look, I know it's hard for you once you get your mind on something. I know it's hard for you to, to change. And I know it's hard for you to see, see it somebody else's way. But today, you need to. I know that you want to do this, but the family needs to do this. And you just need to suck it up now and come along with us, you know? I mean, we sometimes will just speak to our, our especially our older kids like that, you know? Um, you know, as many situations as you can where, um, where, where you don't actually have to um, activate their inflexibility you know, it's really helpful. So you be the flexible one, like you move and bend, um, because sometimes you just won't be able to. But the thing is, when they're having this really inflexible moment, you sitting down and going through this long explanation of why they shouldn't be like that is going to just make it worse, you know? So, yeah, that's a great question. I need to think more about that. Yes. Yes, I did. I, I, I think it's very good to have few boundaries. We're very good as, as parents of setting millions of boundaries. And kids can't keep up with that, and neither can we. Right? We can keep up with a million boundaries. So pick your boundaries carefully. You don't have to have boundaries for everything. You know, but sometimes we get very rigid and it has to be done this way and there's this boundary and, and after a while nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing. So pick your boundaries carefully. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Edward, so one thing to, I just thought of something I wanted to say there. Um, yeah, for, for children who are inflexible too, give them plenty of warning when you need, when they're going to need to change gears, when they're going to need ship, to shift gears. So some families will get, um, uh, I have one on my phone where they have um, 
clocks on the phone that show the minutes going down. So you can put it there and say, when, when, it, when the circle turns green, that's one minute. So you've got, all, you've got these 10 minutes and then the circle's gonna turn green and that's when I'm coming in and we actually have to leave right then. So you kind of train them that way and so give them advance notice. But I think um, when we're dealing with, um, with willful disobedience, you know, willful disobedience. Um, there's all kinds of ways to, to, people do all kinds of different things. You know, some people spank, some people put kids in time out, all of those kind of things. I guess you mean, you mean like not, if you know this child like has one of those four things and they're responding in a way that like, is, I don't know, like simple, like do you still address that that's simple even Like if they're kicking somebody, maybe, yes. yeah, something like that. No, you d if if kids start doing things like that, if like, let's say they start, well, you know, I had a, a kid, th this, yeah, you something like that. You somebody kicks the windshield out of the car, that's definitely sinful. You know, that's like a sinful anger, or somebody kicks you or headbutts you or something. You definitely have to deal with those. Um, I think the best thing to do is not deal with them in the moment because you can really escalate everything. So just let them be, take the child to safety, remove the child or the, the hammer or whatever it is they have, you know, um, and then later, you know, confront the child about it when the child is calm, you know, what you did was wrong, it was sinful, and there's going to be a consequence for that, you know. Does, is that helpful? Okay. You, you had a question. I did, and it was a long to take mine. It was your question. And it was very, so it's just kind of preparing them ahead of time for there to be change. And so that's what I was just going to ask you, like, how, like, say, um, I've worked with some students that have had their disabilities, or a couple of students that have had their own disabilities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in education, we call this scaffolding, right? So, and that's kind of a good word because, you know, we put scaffolding up to sort of hold up the building while it's being built. So, when we, when we give children, um, when we give them clues about what's coming in the next 10, 15 minutes, when we prepare them for things that are unexpected, so, for instance, if you have a child who fits this profile, um, you're just never going to whisk, whisk that child up, stick him in the car, and t not tell him where you're going, and you're going to the dentist, right? You might be preparing to go to the dentist for three days in a row before you actually go, you know? So that's the kind of scaffolding we want to give those kind of children so that they don't feel like they're lost or they don't know where they are or they don't know, what they're, or they don't know what's expected of them. So really good ways to do that which is probably what you've done, is to role play with your kids. Let's practice what it's like when we go to the dentist. The dentist is going to ask you to sit in the chair, and he's going to ask you to put your head back and open your mouth. Can you do that? I'll pretend to be the dentist. I'll be a very nice dentist. But you know, role play with your kids. Play these things out with them. Um, give them opportunities to, uh, to, to know what it's going to be like. 
you know what's happening, what happens in a lot of airports now for children who are on the spectrum is they, the airport authorities will actually allow parents bring the children into the airport and actually let them go on a plane to see what it's like. I mean, it's just perfect, you know? So if you have a child with big needs like someone on the spectrum or somebody with Down syndrome and you're going to have to fly, see if you can organize something like that, you know? That's wonderfully supportive for the child and preparing the child not to be scared so that they don't have this huge meltdown when you start to strap them into the seat. So things like that can be just super helpful. So even going to the building that you're going to go to, you know, the day before and just saying, let's walk around and see what it's like here. You know, you don't have to do that for every child who has meltdowns, but some children can definitely use that level of support, yeah. Yes. Claire, you just tell us when to stop, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, so I can see how that can happen. I mean, we even do that ourselves as adults, don't we? You know? Ed Welch has written a book called Blame It on the Brain, which is a really good book. And he says in there, what we want to do is we, we want to study our child, get to know the child, and then we're going to minimize their weaknesses and maximize their strengths and focus on their heart. And I love that. I, that. I just think that's really cool. So minimize the weaknesses, maximize the strengths, and focus on the heart. So I, you know, I think your little girl, she's perfectly capable of understanding that you're like, uh-uh. I know what you're up to. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't get to do that, you know. But it's great that, how old is she? Nine and a half, yeah. And so what age was she when she got diagnosed? She was diagnosed really young. That's so great, yeah. That's great, because the earlier those kids are diagnosed, the better the outcome for them. So that's wonderful. But I mean, I think if you have a child who has these kind of challenges, to help them understand themselves is really important. So talk about these things with them. You know, talk, if there is a diagnosis, talk about it, you know? Learn about it. Um, get yourself really well educated about it. Get them educated about it. We're living in a in a world that has wonderful books to explain everything to children, you know, including their diagnosis or their particular challenges. So yeah. So there's um, yeah, there, just one thing. There's a really good um, website called www.understand.org. Understood, I beg your pardon, understood.org. And I found a wonderful article on there today about sensory processing issues. And I didn't, didn't touch on that at all, but that's a huge piece of this. So I think you'll find a lot of other articles there. Did you have something? I was just going to ask along those lines, what were some resources that you recommend for writing a book? Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I'm writing a book is because there's nothing written about this 
that I know of by Christians, right? So I'm trying to write a book that has a biblical basis to it, that's solidly biblical. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Ross Green's book, The Explosive Child, is really good. He, does a, he, he helps you figure out how to problem solve with your child. That's really good. Um, Dan Siegel has a book on... Um, something to do with behavior, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Julie Lowe's book, um, Parenting, Childproof, Parenting by Faith, Not by Formula, is a very good book on going after the heart. Um, there's a wonderful book by Jed Baker called No More Meltdowns. It's a secular book, but it's an awesome book. It's full of fabulous ideas. Um, and quite a bit of what I talk about comes from there. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, you, you can Google just about, you know, if you Google meltdowns, you'll get loads and loads of things, you know. Um, but nobody's really writing about it from a spiritual point of view. So that's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. So I have an Instagram. I'm trying to get an Instagram account started. I actually have started it, but it's miserable. It's got two, it's got two postings on it, and it desperately needs more. And it's called... Um, uh, uh, golden apples 2511 and that is um, Proverbs 2511 like apples of golden settings of silver is a word fitly spoken so um, pro uh, golden apples 2511 and if you sign up you don't have to follow if you follow me you don't actually have to ever go near my web you know my page if you don't want to but hopefully you'll find some things on there when I eventually get going on it but if you follow me then when I present my book to the publisher that one of the questions they ask is how many followers do you have on social media and after the last time my number went up from 45 to 74 or something it was great it was like yes <laughs> so so tell your friends and family you know and just help me get a bunch of followers there and then the more followers I get the more I'll feel like I really do have to put something on there so yeah it was a pleasure to talk to you and it's lovely to have a little group that was really nice yeah